0: Thanks for downloading this History Hub podcast. This podcast is brought to you in association with Globalising the Rising, 1916 in Context, a major conference which will take place in University College Dublin on the 5th and 6th of February 2016. For more information, go to centenaries.ucd.ie. In this episode, a paper recorded at the Universities in Revolution and State Formation Conference, which took place in UCD Newman House, on the 5th and 6th of June 2015, this project was funded by an Irish Research Council New Foundations Award, and by a University College Dublin Decade of Centenaries Award. Podcasting was by Real Smart Media. This episode features a recording from Panel 1, Enlightened Radicals, Students and Social Change, 1790-1848. The paper, The Young Irelanders and the Catholic University of Ireland, was given by Dr Stephen Kelly from Liverpool Hope University.
1: Um, first of all, it's great to be back. Uh, I'm a Dubliner by birth. and um, I'm also graduated from UCD, as I Eamon pointed out. I was also the postdoctoral fellow for Newman Studies. Um, so I spent a whole year in this actual building, um, actually in the basement downstairs, right in my monograph. So I have fond memories. Um, it's with that in mind I would just like to pay tribute to the late Potter Conway, who was director for uh, Newman Studies at UCD, sadly passed away in 2012. And I'd like to dedicate this paper to his memory. Um, I well suppose I also need to thank the organisers today, particularly Connor uh, and the the, uh, the the additional organisers. I know it's a lot of work trying to put together a conference of this nature. Um, so before I start uh, discussing the context of the Catholic University and its association with the Young Islanders in, in the revolutionary period of the 1850s, I just thought I'd mention uh, access to source material, which is quite important. Uh, in recent years, when I was um, putting together my monograph and the Blessed John Henry Newman, as he was uh, beatified or sorry, uh, blessed in 2010, um, a huge amount of new material has come available from the Birmingham Oratory, uh, where Newman's personal papers were maintained for almost 100 years. Uh, and in 2010, I was given access to these papers, exclusive access, and I was able to therefore find a huge amount of new correspondence between Newman and particularly Archbishop Cullen, who we'll come back to in a moment. And it's this correspondence that opened up the whole new light into Newman's involvement with uh, Irish nationalism in general uh, in the years of the, eight, uh, 18th, of the decade of 1850. Um, so as I said, today I wish to examine the relationship between the Young Orliners uh, and the Catholic University of Ireland. And I'll refer to the Catholic University as the CUI, just uh, so we get through a little bit quicker. And for those of you who aren't familiar um, the COI was the antecedent uh, institution of UCD, uh, as we know it today. And it was in this very building, uh, Newman House, that the COI first opened its doors to students in 1854. And um, it was actually founded in 1851, but I'll come back to that in a moment. Now, today, I wish to explore the reasons why the blessed John Henry Newman... Um, as first rector of the Catholic University of Ireland, decided to appoint uh, a ma- men associated with the Young Irlander movement to the staff, the academic staff of, this unit of, of the Catholic University of Ireland. Um, I argued that Newman wanted the best men for the job, irrespective of their political views, and that's quite important when we come to understand uh, the reasons or rationale for appointing these men. I also analysed the reasons why the Archbishop of the time, of Armagh, Paul Cullen, reacted so furiously to Newman's decision to appoint Young Irelanders to the academic staff of the CUI. And I can't stress enough, um, Archbishop Cullen was absolutely furious. And I'll demonstrate that through the letters and correspondence that I've uh, uncovered uh, between Newman and and Cullen during the time. Um, I explain that Cullen feared that for the future of the CUI if it fell under the control of the young Irelanders. In Cullen's words, these men were, quote, ultra-zealous, zealous patriots, who might use the CUI as a breeding ground for revolutionary discourse. In total, Newman pointed five Young Islanders, or young, n- known Young Island sympathisers, to the staff of the CUI, um, and there's more on that later. I analysed what impact their experiences had on the CUI as a forum for shaping revolution ideas and for promoting political activism. So a little bit on the Young Islander movement itself, and the famous... Uh, uh, rebellion of 1848 to give you context to Newman's association with, with, with that grouping later on. Now the Young Islanders were supporters of the Young Ireland movement. The movement was a political, cultural and social movement of the 19th century lasting roughly from the 1830s uh, to, the, to the 1840s in terms of their prominence. It sought independence from Britain and through the pages of its national newspaper, The Nation, articulated articulated Irish nationalist calls for repeal of the Union. That is the union that was enacted in 1800 uh, between Britain and and Ireland. The movement's leading figures included such great figures as Thomas Davis, uh, the Irish nationalist patriot uh, and ballad composer, and Charles Gavin Duffy, a journalist, poet and actually a future politician in Australia. Now, during the 1840s, the young Irelanders, working closely with Daniel O'Connell, the great liberator of, of the period, had advocated an advanced peaceful means to secure repeal from the Union. O'Connell persistently proclaimed his pacifist intentions until his death in 1847, although you know, the argument is that Colin, O'Connell sometimes flirted with physical force in a, in a means of propagating so, and gaining support from the Irish electorate. Um, now it was, however, it was following the devastation of the Irish famine, the Great Famine uh, of 1845 to 1851, that the tone of the young Irelanders gradually acquired a more militant dimension. Uh, in 1848, the movement uh, led a famous, but ultimately uh, f- uh, failed, rebellion under the leadership of William um, Smith O'Brien against British presence in Ireland. Now, in military terms, as I mentioned, it was a complete failure. Uh, many of the rebel leaders were tried for sedition, Uh, and sentenced to penal transportation, uh, others absconders to America, for example. Now, although defeated, the young Irelanders left a lasting legacy upon nationalist thinking in Ireland, and that's something I want to come back to later on. They inspired the next generation of Irish nationalists to take up the fight to secure independence from Britain, as Wolfe Town had done a generation before. Now, as I discussed, the young Irelanders' cause can be seen closely associated with the establishment of the Catholic University uh, in 1851. So let's just consider the foundations of the Catholic University uh, and its significance, I suppose, in in the history of uh, 19th century Ireland. So the CUI, as I mentioned, was founded in 1851 following the famous Synod of Turles of 1850. One of the main commitments of this synod was to establish a Catholic university in Ireland in response to the Queen's University of Ireland and its associated colleges which were non Domination of. So this idea was, under Sir Robert Peel, the British Prime Minister, in 1845, the notion of establishing three universities throughout Ireland, Belfast, Cork and Galway, in response to the Anglican Trinity College in Dublin. Now, if you can imagine at the time, Catholics, particularly the, um, the Vatican, and also uh, Archbishop Cullen, who will come to in a moment, feared that these colleges would become godless, where the, the Catholic ethos, would no longer take prominence in the teachings of the university. And it's for this very reason that we have the establishment of the Catholic University in Dublin in 1851, under, I suppose, the stewardship of Archbishop Cullen and as rector, John Henry Newman. Now, just a little bit about Cullen. I'm fascinated by this man. Um, if we think of Charles McQuaid as one of the most prominent figures um, in, in his classical history of 20th century Ireland. I suppose Cullen is equally should be labelled similarly in 19th century Ireland. Um, He was one of the most important figures between Daniel O'Connell and his famous repeal movement and indeed Charles Stewart Parnell and the Home Rule movement in the latter part of the 19th century, Cullen espoused this notion of ultramontanism, looking towards the papacy in Rome, uh, which valued uh, the supremacy of the the Pope, uh, and the the notions of um, papal infallibility, which would be enshrined in 1870, the absolutism of the papacy. And it was this notion that Cullen brought to Ireland. So although an Irishman by birth, he'd been educated and skilled in Rome, he came back to Ireland uh, to to start up a process of modernising the church, Famously referred to as the uh, spiritual, um, the devotional story, the devotional revolution, uh, which made the priesthood a much more uh, professional organisation, um, and parishes became the centre of of, of of society through the, uh, I suppose, the vehicle of, of the Catholic Church's teachings. And it's it's this is why I, I would argue that Cullen has such a stranglehold, uh, not just on the Catholic University, but more generally in Irish society uh, during this period. Uh, and this is just behind me is, a, is a, one, one of many pictures of, of, of Cardinal Cullen, who was Archbishop of Armagh firstly and then went on to be Archbishop of, of Dublin for, for o- over um, 20 years. Now, what about the blessed John Henry Newman? Um, well, in October 1851, Newman first arrived to Ireland on the request of Cullen to assume the post as the first rector of the CUI in response to what I mentioned about the godless colleges to establish a Catholic university in Dublin which would have Catholicism at the centre of the heart of the university at, at its, at, of its teachings. Um, it wasn't until three years later, until the 3rd of November, 1854, that la- lectures actually commenced in the Catholic university in this very building. And I always find this quite humorous. In total, there was only 17 students who actually were enrolled in the university at the time? Um, I, I wonder how Newman would see university today, particularly Newman, the Newman building in UCD, packed full of undergraduates, 500 students attending a lecture, where he only had uh, 17. But it wasn't about the numbers, it was about establishing the university, a Catholic university. Um, not just for those in Dublin or Galway, but indeed for all those in Europe, based on the Belgian model Louvain, a Catholic institution. Now, by the early months of 1855, however, Cullen and Newman were at odds with one another over the running of the CUI. And this comes to the heart of my paper in terms of the appointment of Young Ireland sympathisers. The Catholic for this pro- conflict was Newman wish, Newman's wish, irrespective of Cullen's protests, to appoint men associated with the radical Young Ireland movement to the academic staff of the Catholic University of Ireland. And I give several quotes throughout this paper to. To back up um, my arguments. Writing from Rome, for example, in January 1855, Cullen asked that Newman not employ young Irelanders to the staff of the CUI. Quote, I trust you will make every exertion to keep the university free from all the young Irelandism of which the spirit is so evident in the nation, that is, the publication under the young Irelanders. And again, place it in the context of what's happening in the 1850s uh, in Rome. Uh, and which is something which Francesco will touch upon with Young Italy, and I'll come back to that in a moment. Cullen was scared and worried that the Young Irelanders were a model. Uh, very similar to what was happening in the Young, Young Italy uh, at that time. Cullen did not want to appoint Young Irelanders or men sympathetic to this movement because he saw them as dangerous revolutionaries. I found another interesting quote. In correspondence uh, in 1851, for example, with the Bishop of Halifax, William Walsh, he wrote that the Young Ireland movement harboured, enemies of the Catholic University. He explained that, quote, these men have done a great deal of mischief and seem altogether to forget that what makes Ireland distinguished among the nations of the earth is her struggle for the support of Catholicism. In correspondence with Newman in February 1852, which is the subtitle to my paper, Cullen warned the young Irelanders, quote, they were ultra-zealous patriots determined to take up agitation against everything English in Ireland. So you can see Cullen, you can see how he, he, he perceives the young Irelanders uh, and indeed those sympathetic to the cause. Now Cullen himself, and this is something uh, as I suppose a lot of people would not necessarily uh, uh, come to understand, was himself a very sympathetic Irish nationalist. He had strong nationalist viewpoints uh, and he certainly held some anti-British views. But his nationalism was in the mould of the non-violent political tactician O'Connell and not that of the radical young Irelanders. Cullen wanted to strengthen constitutional nationalism as an alternative to those policies of the young islanders. Revolution, he maintained, was impractical and, if attempted, would be self-destructive. So, so you can see now the heart of the debate between Newman and, and Cullen at this time. The failed Young Ireland rebellion of 1848 convinced Cullen that the Young Ireland movement was a version of Young Italy, which I mentioned Francesca's touches upon in, in her next uh, Uh, discussions. The Messinian and largely anti-clerical revolutionary party causing so much trouble at the papal state at this time. Writing retrospectively in 1870 in Newman's Newman's famous Dublin memorandum uh, he remembered that Cullen quote had always compared young Ireland to the young Italy and with the most intense expression of words and continence assured me that they never came right, never he knew from his experiences of Rome. Now This is the intriguing part in many respects the appointment of the Young Irelanders, to the CUI or sympathisers. Despite Cullen's protests, Newman would have none of it. He said, I'm willing to appoint these men based on the merits, not on their political perspectives. Newman sought to remain neutral and not to become directly involved in Irish political affairs. That's not to say he wasn't interested in Irish political affairs, because he was uh, and that's something myth within the historiography that Newman was disconcerned with social or political issues. That's an absolute falsity. If you read his letters and correspondence, he, 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 he corresponded with several figures from the industrial, economic and political world. As early as eighteen fifty one, Newman stipulated to Cullen that as rector he must have a free hand to appoint staff to the CUI. He wanted the best men for the job and did not care what politics certain men followed. He subsequently wrote that the Young Ireland movement uh, sorry, the Young Ireland sympathisers that he appointed were, quote, the most ablest and cleverest men in Ireland. Newman admitted that like Cullen, he quote, did not care much for their political opinions. Nonetheless, as long as the Young Ireland sympathizers kept politics out of the university, he was content to, to employ them. They might make mistakes, but in Newman's own words, it's better to make mistakes to make nothing Newman the pragmatist and it's this notion as long as they didn't bring their politics into the university Newman was content to employ them and I, I, I finish up in that argument well how much politics did the staff the non-sympathisers which I come to in a moment actually uh, bring to the, to the teachings and to the discourse of the university at the time now unsurprisingly Cullen was incensed upon hearing of Newman's decision to appoint young Ireland sympathisers The Archbishop refused to answer Newman's letters from early 1855 and did not again make contact with the rector until the summer of that year. And Newman sends, if you look at his letters and diaries at the time, he sends a prolific number of of letters and Cullen, who was in a sulk, refuses to answer them. Um, When when Cullen did eventually agree or say, OK, I must respond to these letters, uh, he spoke with his, his frustration of hearing that, quote, no one is doing anything for the university. I beg of you, Cullen noted to Newman, to take steps to put things right. Now, it's interesting, um, when we talk about who was appointed to the university and known sympathisers, Michael Tierney, the famous um, Irish historian, uh, member of Cumann na Gale, and also president of UCD, wrote that the Young Ireland's disciples, as he phrased it, flocked to Newman. In total, Newman appointed five Young Islanders, or known Young Ireland sympathisers, to the staff of the CUI. I've just put a list of them up here for your, for your viewing. Um, and it's been quite difficult. I spoke to Eamon about this just before we started. It's been quite difficult to find information on a lot of these individuals. Um, but based on the evidence that I have, it would seem fair to suggest that they were associated with the Young Ireland movement, and I, I'll demonstrate that in a moment. Um, so firstly, Eugene O'Curry um, was Professor of Archaeology and Irish History. If you get a chance before, actually, to finish up today you should go downstairs and have a look at Newman's um, church, which was designed by Pollen. It's a beautiful neo-Baroque church, and there's an inscription in, in the church dedicated to O'Curry. Newman and O'Curry were great friends. Um, O'Curry was, was clearly, evidently, uh, sympathetic to the union Ireland movement, although he, it does not seem that he ever actually offered his services to the movement. Newman spoke of him as holding a unique knowledge of Celtic manuscripts and regularly attended his, his colleagues' lectures. Indeed, with the financial support from Newman and the Catholic University of Ireland, O'Curry published two volumes on sources in Irish history. Uh, And actually, Newman even had an Irish language type cast for O'Curry. That's the first individual. The second is John O'Hagan, lecturer in political economy. He was referred to in various circles as, quote, a tainted Young Irelander, was an active member of the Young Irelanders, having previously written poetry for the famous uh, paper The Nation. During his time at the COI, he became friendly with Newman and was a regular contributor to the COI's academic journal, The Atlantis. The Atlantis is a fantastic uh, journal. There's copies available in the, the UCD library, uh, and it actually demonstrates that Newman's university did embrace the sciences and indeed founded a medical school, something we just touched upon in both difference to what happened in, in Mexico. Um, and he also had a fine eagle mind. Our next individual was William Kirby Sullivan, Um, he was an ardent member of the Young Irelanders and was reportedly only absent from the uh, 1848 rebelling and rising due to ill health. Former director of the Museum of Irish Industry, Newman recorded that he had done, a quote, an excellent job as a professor of chemistry. Um, The next, Dennis Florence McCarty. McCarty was a notable poet and translator, um, dramatist uh, as well. Also a former prominent Young Irelander, he had written for the nation, like several others, Uh, although he remained with O'Connell when the repeat association began to break up, but he still had sympathies with the Young Ireland movement. Now, it's Newman's decision in particular to appoint the last gentleman, Piggott, which caused the most controversy. Um, Again, to not to overuse the word incensed, but when Cullen heard about the appointment of Piggott, he drove him around the bend. Um, To put it mildly. (coughs) Described by Newman as a coxcomboggle, Piggott was a poet uh, and composer of nationalist songs during the days of the Young Irelanders. And Cullen made no effort to hide his distaste of the prospect of Piggott's appointment at the time, and there's various letters that demonstrate that. The employment of several Young Irelanders sympathisers to the staff of the CUI was the beginning of the end of Newman's cordial relations with Cullen. Newman later remembered that one of the reasons for his poor relations with the Archbishop and ultimate decision to resign as rector was because he had employed young Irelanders. There were many other reasons, but that was one reason. A more serious disagreement than the appointment of the young Irelanders to the CUI, soon arose, however. At issue was Newman's friendship with prominent young Irelanders, uh, Frederick Lucas and indeed Charles Gavin Duffy. These two men are quite important. I'm sorry I don't have slides or images of them above. Lucas, an Englishman by birth, had converted to Roman Catholicism in 1838 and soon became a fervent disciple of Irish nationalism. And if I'm correct, he was also founder of the Tablet. And he was one of Cullen's most passionate critics. Uh, now, despite Cullen's outward dislike for Lucas, Newman refused to be separated from his friendship with Lucas. Quote, I never, of course, would give up Lucas as a friend, he wrote in one letter. Although Newman admitted differing from him politically, he thought Lucas, quote, an honest, a good man. Newman's close relationship with Charles Gavin Duffy, whose personal friendship there can be little doubt, only exasperated relations between himself and Cullen. Indeed, it was believed that Newman wanted to appoint Duffy as Professor of Modern Artist History at the CUI, but was overruled by Cullen. Um, Cullen regarded Duffy as, quote, an Irish Masani and a dangerous man. Again, Cullen with his strong use of language. Um, so at the heart of Cullen's newfound sympathy for, for the Irish Catholics was frustration with the reactionary clergy, and that's something I, I'm going to finish up on. It's the relationship between the Church and its role and influence within the, within the university um, that causes problems, particularly Cullen. Cullen resented the stranglehold that the Catholic university hierarchy under Cullen's influence, wished to secure over the CUI. Newman did not want, and he used this phrase himself, a priest-ridden institution. Instead, he wished to appoint members of the laity, which included Young Ireland sympathisers, to the staff of the CUI. However, Cullen, as we are probably aware, wished for the CUI to be predominantly uh, religious in its, its make-up. Newman recalled, quote, Dr. Cullen seems to think that young Irelandism is the natural product of the lay mind anywhere." Uh, indeed, Cullen did fear, as I mentioned, that the C.U.I. would be a breeding ground, I should say, for revolutionary intellectuals. Uh, and it was these prolonged disagreements with Newman that eventually led to his uh, resignation as rector uh, in 1858. And on the 12th of November of that year, Newman resigned as rector of the C.U.I. And actually, quite sad, he never returned to Ireland thereafter. He passed away in 1890. Um, so I'm just to conclude with a few brief uh, paragraphs. In conclusion, in this paper I have attempted to show that the considerable influence that the Catholic clergy, under the directionship of Archbishop Paul Cullen, held over the Catholic University of Ireland from its very inception. Cullen's endorsement of non violent nationalism, in contrast to the radicalism of the Young Ireland movement, illustrated the gulf which had developed in Ireland between the Catholic Church and those supportive of the physical force medics to secure independence. From Britain in the post-famine period. Now, I would argue that this gulf uh, widened further throughout the latter part of the nineteenth century as the heirs of the Young Ireland movements, such as the Fenians and the Irish Republican Brotherhood, for example, found themselves at odds with the Catholic Church's opposition to the use of force chiefly based on moralistic principles and that changes as we'll see later on with the, with the talks into the 20th century where the, where the church are aligned with the revolutionaries in some respects but that's not the case in th- this period in, uh, for example I think what I've just said only tells half the story um, in reality the CUI and I hope this isn't a damn squid down to the, to the conference itself was never really a breeding ground uh, for fevered Irish nationalism revolutionary activities um, as Cullen had feared Neither staff nor students partook in major debates or discourse or activities. There's little evidence to suggest that the known young Ireland sympathisers working at the CI played a prominent role in radicalising the Catholic middle class during the period in question. Okay. However, I argue that Newman's willingness to appoint such men like O'Curry, O'Hagan and Piggott were merely an acknowledgement of the political realities alive in Ireland during the 1850s. In this respect... Irish nationalist sentiment could no longer be contailed. The nationalist gene, their genie, was out of the bottle. Now, continued accusations of British misgovernance in Ireland, together with agrarian and social unrest, triggered an awakening of nationalist feelings throughout Ireland. From Cork to Donegal, Galway to Dublin, Irish citizens demanded political reform. But what type of reform, be it local government changes, home rule or complete independence, was as yet still undecided? As some of the speakers will demonstrate later on today and tomorrow, it was not until the turn of the 20th century that the Irish universities, I would argue, uh, particularly the successors to the CUI, UCD, were to play a prominent role in helping to radicalise a new generation of Irish nationalist revolutionaries. Thank
0: you. We hope you enjoyed this History Hope podcast. You can find many more podcasts at historyhope.ie forward slash podcasts.